through multiple shaded green dots. But you know what the, the Philippians chapter 4 says? It says, The saints of Caesar's household greet you. Which means the whole time he's writing the Philippians, he's preaching the gospel to people that work for Caesar. And by the end of the book, he says, There's saints in Caesar's household. There's blood-bought people in the household of Caesar who wants to end me. And it's interesting that in the first chapter of Philippians, what does it say? It says, I am hard-pressed to decide what to do, whether to stay here with you or to be with Christ, which is far better. But his, his conclusion to that is, for me to live is Christ and to die is me. It is my privilege to be here today. I was telling um, Mother Goose or Rebecca that I have been here five summers row at least once. I know last year I was scheduled for two, but because of the delay with COVID, I did only did one. And um, I was, and I get to end the summer with you again this year, which is great. So I'm just going to share with you a little bit of my testimony, and then uh, we'll go to John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can keep that in mind. Uh, but I just want to start out and tell you a little bit about myself. First of all, um, as was stated, my name is Andrew Gamison, and I was born in May of 1979. I was born three months premature, which is why I'm in the wheelchair, and um, I was born during my parents' last vacation. So my parents uh, had gotten married um, a, a year previous in April of 78, and um, they decided that they would go on a final vacation in on that Memorial Day weekend before becoming a final kind of nice getaway before becoming parents. And I guess I decided one way or the other that I wanted to be on vacation too, so I joined the party. Uh, I was born on a Sunday morning, um, 11.22 a.m. And I think that's kind of God's humor uh, because now as a preacher, as a traveling preacher, some of my busiest times are on Sunday mornings during the 11 o'clock hour. So I think um, there was some foreshadowing there. But I was um, spent some time there in Jackson, Michigan, where I was born. Because my parents were on vacation, I'm the only one of my um, 12 siblings that was born in Jackson. So I have that distinction. Um, and I was later brought to the University of Michigan Medical Center, where I spent some time. Um, and then also in Butterworth before I came home uh, a week or two before my mother's 20th birthday, uh, yeah, before my mother's 20th birthday in July. So God did a lot 
in that first couple months of my life. And my dad has told me the story of walking around that first hospital, um, foot memorial, and just asking God for my life. Once he knew that God had spared my life, he knew that God was going to do something amazing through me. And it's really interesting that the theme verse for this um, summer is Galatians 2.20. Um, sometimes I will ask ahead of time, what's your theme, so I can kind of coordinate. But I think God kind of um, did that because today, as we get into the meat of the message, we're going to talk about the love of God and the motivating factor that the love of God is. Um, but when I was five years old, I came to know the Lord in a very real way, um, but I wasn't happy. I was happy that I was going to heaven, but I was very discouraged by my temporary uh, assignment here on earth because I was put into this crippled body. And I always said to God, I said, God, if you would make me not crippled, if you would heal me, then I could serve you. There was always that caveat. If you heal me, then I can serve you. But God is not a God of caveats. And so for that whole nine-year period, he was working in my life and seeking to convince me that he didn't need to heal me on the outside to use me. He just needed me to yield myself to him and allow, allow him to do a healing work inside of me. And then he said, now I can use you. Think of what, the, what Jesus said to the Pharisees when they said, why do you hang out with publicans and sinners? And he said, I've come to call sinners not righteous to repentance. When I was a kid, I thought, well, that's because righteous people don't need repentance. But that's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying, as long as you think you're righteous, there's nothing I can do for you. Because the way to have a problem taken care of, the way to have issues dealt with in your life, is to admit there's a problem. That's the first step. And so, um, a lot of things happened in, in that nine years, but I hit rock bottom in July of 1992 when my baby brother went to sleep for a nap and never woke up. And to this, to that point, he had been my mother's healthiest baby from birth onward. So it didn't make any sense that God would just take him in his sleep. And I remember grieving a lot, like really hard, over that ensuing year. And one of the conversations that I had at least once, if not multiple times, with my mother is, why did God take my perfectly healthy baby brother and leave me here when I'm completely that's the way I thought of myself at that point. And I went through the roughest year of my life from July of 92 to approximately, uh, I think it was June of the following year, 1993. And during that time, I was a captive audience because if I had been able to walk, I might have like hit every Sunday morning uh, because I don't want to go to church. I don't want much to do with God. I would cry out to him from time to time, but 
I didn't really want to spend time in his house, in his word, and I didn't want to believe that life would go on when I was hurting so bad. Well, in, I believe it was June of 1993, um, I went to a conference, and one of the sessions in the conference was the 10 Unchangeables of Life. Basically, this conference speaker had come up with 10 things that the Bible talks about that we can't change about our life. Things like the time you were born in history, your birth order, um, whether you're male or female. All those things are preordained by God. And one of those things that he touched on that finally broke through my my crusty exterior was the way God physically made him. He told the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, who had prayed to God when she was a teenager that God would bring her closer to himself. So whatever it takes, God, bring me closer to yourself. And then she dove off a pier in the Chesapeake Bay in, in the mid-1960s, broke her neck, never walked again. And her ensuing year was probably one of the most difficult in her life. She wanted to end her life. She tried to get friends to help her commit suicide. She said, just slip my wrists so it can all be over. So when she was praying that God would bring her closer to himself, that's not what she was thinking. But he talked about how Johnny had come to one of his conferences and she said, do I really need to thank God for my wheelchair? And the reality is yes, because the Bible says in everything, good things. And that day I said, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but whatever you want to do in my life, it's yours. And have I 100% Follow that? Do I take every single opportunity to give me? No. But I spent 20 years uh, preaching in the Kent County Jail, hoping to get back there. We haven't been given the protocols to do that yet again. But I spent 20 years in the Kent County Jail ministry there. I've spent um, about 11 years, 12 years this year, formally preaching and traveling to churches since the formation of my Speaking for Him ministry. You can find me at speakingforhim.com, speaking the number four, him.com. I have a weekly podcast uh, that I post every Wednesday, which I've been doing for, it'll be 11 years this year in October. Um, so God has really done some amazing things. And then I suppose the latest iteration is working as a substitute teacher this year, a study hall teacher at the Potter's House Christian High School. So God has just opened up the gates and really blessed me uh, with opportunities to serve him. I'm still continuing to pray for more open doors. I'm praying that God in his time would give me a, a wife who would help me in my ministry and, and make it that much sweeter. But I know as Paul said, that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I live now, I live by the faith of him who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And so that's the message that I try to bring with me wherever I go. And I really hope that what I have to share with you today will encourage you. Because it's significant, before we get into our Bible passage too, that just because I came to terms with who I am did not mean that life became instantly a better person or it was instantly easy. I didn't wake up the next day and have a healthy body and be able to get myself out of bed. But I had a whole new perspective on what it meant to live that life. You see, the reality is that all of us need help. The Bible says that when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Why? Because we did not have the ability to redeem ourselves. We did not have the ability to live a perfect life. Only one did, and he condescended to become human, the creator of the world. He became human to live among us so that we would have a high priest that is familiar with our infirmities, that understands what it is to be human, and can say, I have taken the penalty for you. And I've had about three times in my life when people said, well, if you had enough faith, you could walk. Well, first of all, I'm not in a position to command God to do anything. I can ask him for things, but I can't command him to do anything. He has a plan. The second thing is I believe that my wheelchair has kept me close to God, kept me relying on God. Every day when I open my eyes and I realize that I cannot get out of my bed until my brother comes to get me, helps me to have a physical, tangible reminder that I need Jesus today. And I still sometimes forget. So I'm just going to read a few verses now from John chapter 15, verses 9 to 11. We talk about three aspects of the love of God. So if you're taking notes at all, then you can think about these three aspects of the love of God. Number one is, we love Him because He first loved us. Now before I read this, I want to let you know that I have a couple cross-references. So if you have your Bible, if you could um, turn to those five references when I announce them. This helps in two ways. Number one, it allows me not to have to turn as many pages in my Bible. Makes it easier for me. And number two, hopefully it keeps you away. So I will let you know what those are as we go on. But the first one is, we love him because he loved us. Remember, um, Paul said, I live my life by the faith of the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was a blasphemer. Paul was going the wrong way. And then he went to the road to Damascus. And God literally knocked him off his high horse and said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul had no choice but to turn the opposite way and turn the zeal that he had for persecuting the believers into a zeal for the Lord Jesus. So let's look at John chapter 15, verse 9. <clears throat> As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Continue me in my love. So when we think about the love of the Father to the Son, what comes to mind? Well, the first thing that we see, or one of the first 
publicly received while Jesus' ministry and goes to the River Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. And he says to John the Baptist, I need you to baptize me. And John says, I should have you baptize me. John had just gotten done saying, there is no way that I am worthy to unlatch this man's shoes. But Jesus said, it becometh all righteousness for us to do this. So it's part of God's divine plan. And as Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, he comes out of the water, there's a voice that comes from heaven and it says this, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am not pleased. It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any closer than that. God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am not pleased. And we also see in John chapter 17, Jesus says to God the Father, Restore to me the glory that was mine before the world was. Do you ever stop and think about that? That the God of the universe died on the cross for you. The God of the universe died on the cross for me. It's amazing. John chapter 1 tells us that nothing was made without him making it. And yet he condescended not only to live a human life, but to die on Calvary's cross, to rise again the third day, claiming victory over sin. And the Bible says that we will see him someday, which means that he has decided, he has agreed, he has condescended not only to be in that body for those 33 years, but for all eternity. One day, when I finally get the ability to kneel, the first thing I'm going to do is kneel before his throne and proclaim him as the Son of God to the glory of God the Father. He has a name above all other names. So we are to Remember that we love him because he first loved us, and we are to continue in his love. You know, a lot of times people get disenfranchised by faith, and they think that they need to do enough to be saved, or do enough to be a good Christian. Now, good works are important to the Christian life, don't get me wrong. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us, that God has works for us to do, that He before ordained. But we can never do enough to earn God's love. As the song says, I owed a debt I could not pay, He paid a debt He did not owe. And so we need to abide in Him and rest in the fact that He paid it all. He said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So let's look by way of cross-reference at Ephesians 3, 17 and 19. Ephesians 3, 17 and 19. If someone gets that, if they can stand and read it for us. 
So Paul is saying that even though it's hard to comprehend, even though we won't fully comprehend it, but if we abide in the love of Christ and we seek to make it a lifelong goal to understand the love of Christ, we will have power to serve him and power to encourage one another. You know, I, I'm having an issue issue with my bedroom light. So when you turn it on and it turns on and then it will blink off after a few minutes and then when we go to turn it on again it will work for a brief period of time. So I need to get an electrician over soon or willing and have them look at it because it's not hooked properly to the power source. Jesus said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. Why does it say that? It doesn't say that because God will give you everything you ever wanted, all the material things you ever wanted. What it says, what it's saying is, if we abide in him, then he will change our hearts. If any man be in Christ, is a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things are becoming new. So we abide in Him, our desires change. So our desires become the desires of His heart. So when the psalm says, Delight in such also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart, the reason He can give you the desires of your heart is because they change to align to His. Okay, so the second point. We said, Glow. The love of God. We love Him because He loves us. The second point is we show our love by obedience. We show our love by obedience. John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So Jesus is showing us an example. What did what did Jesus say most often when, when people would ask him things like why he was there? He said, I am come to do the will of my Father. And he was very deliberate. You know, the, the, the children of Israel used to avoid Samaria. They would walk around, walk many extra miles to avoid going through Samaria because they viewed Samaritans as half-breeds, they viewed them as not good people to associate with them. But there was one time when Jesus not only went to Samaria, but it says he must needs go to Samaria. Why? Because he knew that was the Father's will for him to go to Samaria. And the story that resulted was the woman coming to the well and Jesus having a 
conversation with her about living water and about the fact that he was the Messiah. And she left the water pot at the well, ran into town and said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did could be seen the Christ. And the whole town basically went back, they listened to Jesus, they urged him to stay a few days, and they said, now we believe, not because of what you said, but because we've heard him for ourselves. And I want to encourage you with something. The Psalms say, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I can, I can say that the Lord is good. I'm here to testify to you that the Lord has been good to me. So I want to encourage you to taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, yet last year, during the lockdowns, I was in my house for about 82 straight days. Well, no way. I did church on Zoom, and uh, school was locked down Friday, March 13, 2020. So I was literally in my house for 82 straight days. And the verse that kept resonating with me in that time is this, be still and know that I am God. If you had told me on March 13th that I would be in my house that long, I would have said, there's no way I can do it. I would have gone crazy. But every day, I got up and said, okay, God, what am I going to do with this new situation? And at the time of the Lockdown. I was recording my podcast at a local radio station in Holland, Michigan. And through the course of time, God allowed me to learn the things I needed to do to move that podcast recording home. And so I no longer have clinic probation laws associated with that part of my ministry. And I'm grateful for it. But if I had just been in an attitude of lament every day, then I wouldn't have been able to accomplish what I did. So I want to encourage you that God can bring beautiful actions and can turn uh, bad things into good opportunities. Um, we studied in two different ways this past week. Romans 8, 28, which says, All things work together for good them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. It's important to note that all things are not good, but they work together for good. And so, again, John did the end of it. If you my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have my father's commandments, and you abide in his love. So we have this example of Jesus who is doing the Father's will. And that's what he says to us that we need to be about doing the Father's will and keeping his commandments. Again, this isn't talking about a workspace salvation and you have to get everything right or you're not saved anymore. As John MacArthur said so eloquently, if I could lose my salvation, I would. And I, I, I believe that to be true. I lose a lot of things. So if my salvation was dependent on me, it wouldn't be much of a salvation. But we read in Galatians 2.20, right? 
that the life I now live is what? It's lived by the faith of the Son of God. That's where the power is. In Philippians, it says, It is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2. So we need to realize that what, what Jesus is saying here is if you abide in me, then obedience will be the result. It's not so much um, a deliberate action, although there, that is involved. But the greater lesson is that obedience will be the result of abiding in Jesus. If we can look at John 14.21, John 14.21. Whoever keeps my commandments, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself in him. So this is a key thing. If you've grown up in the church, then you've no doubt heard the commandments of the Lord. If you've grown up in a Christian home, you've no doubt you heard from your parents the commandments of the Lord. But Jesus says here, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that has eternal life. Now again, we're not talking about perfection. But what we are talking about is that when you are redeemed by God, you have a desire and a power that you didn't have before to do the right thing. Romans chapter 6 talks about that before you come to the redeeming knowledge of Jesus, that your instincts, everything about your life, is doing things in sin because you have no choice. But when you turn over to God, when you are redeemed, then your instincts can become instruments of righteousness. Because you obey from the heart that form of doctrine that Paul is talking about. And Paul's chief form of doctrine is, I preach Christ and Him crucified. The world doesn't understand the cross. The world may tell you, well, Jesus died because, just because of love. And that's true. But Jesus died because He needed someone to absorb the wrath of God. Now, I don't think we understand love today because what people don't understand about love is that you cannot understand the love of God until you understand the wrath of God that Jesus took for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. So not only do we have to hear the words of Christ, we also have to put them into practice. The third aspect in my final point today is joy will be the result. You ever look at the world today and get discouraged? You ever have people see people out in the world and they there's chaos all around and, and wondering why is all this happening? 
But they and they look at the self-help section of the bookstore, and they they look at people that are considered to be big in the news and other aspects, and that's kind of where they get an idea of how to get help. But the psalmist says, where does my help come from? And he says, it comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's where our help comes from. And so often, we want to look every which way but up. I'm reminded of a story a lady who was complaining about some problems in her life and the pastor said well we prayed about it and she said has it come to that and that's sobering because the reality is that whenever we face a challenge our first place to go should be on me that should be the first place we go. Not the last place we go after we exhausted other resources. You see, God doesn't give us wisdom. So God can give us insight into the resources that He wants to use to meet the need. Sometimes God tells us to give to someone or to some other organization. And if we follow that prompting, we may find out later that that was an exact prayer of someone else. Maybe it won't be on this side of glory, but eventually things will be made plain. So if God prompts you to give, please do that. As someone who has been blessed by the graciousness of God's people throughout my ministry, I can testify to the truth of this. There are even been times, I remember I was I was writing a blog post about something having to do with how much I complained to God and how bad it is sometimes. And while I'm writing, my brother or whoever it was that day brought in the mail and there was there was a check in the mail for a substantial amount for my ministry. And I said, even in the midst of my complaint, even in the midst of my ungrateful heart, God was already and continually answering prayers for me. And as I prepared to start school again tomorrow at the Ponder's house, I go with a certain level of anxiety because of the changes in my responsibilities, but I know that God is with me. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake And if you want joy in your life, then trust in God is right here. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be, might be full. John 15 1. Now we have to clarify here today that joy and happiness not synonymous necessarily. They can exist together 
And I do believe that if we are joyful, happiness can be a result of that joy. But we need to realize that we don't have to be happy all the time, but we can still be joyful. You think Paul was happy in Philippians when he was in that jail and writing the book of Philippians and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Did he make him happy to be in that jail? No, I don't think he did. Especially since it's not the, not the two-person limit air-conditioned um, jail that the county has now. It was a dungeon. It was most likely shame between guards. But you know what the, the Philippians chapter 4 says? It says, The saints of Caesar's household Greet you, which means the whole time he's writing to Philippians, he's preaching the gospel to people that work for Caesar. And by the end of the book, he says, There's saints in Caesar's household. There's blood bought people in the household of Caesar who wants to end me. And it's interesting that in the first chapter of Philippians, what does it say? It says, I am hard-pressed to decide what to do, whether to stay here with you or to be with Christ, which is far better. But his, his conclusion to that is, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So it's a win-win situation. It's like, if you don't kill me, I will keep proclaiming Christ. So I win. If you do kill me, I will be with Christ bodily. So I win. So either way, he wins. I think it's interesting that he doesn't just want to give us partial joy. God is not a partial giver. He wants to give us full joy. See, the world has their identity idea of success and fulfillment. This may sound weird, but I'm going to go back for a second to the children's movie, The Little Mermaid. Okay, The Little Mermaid, she wants to become a human because she loves the prince and she wants to be with the prince. And first of all, not sure what I believe about love at first sight, but the key here is that she loves the prince it's a fairy tale. So she goes to Ursula the sea witch and she gets her legs in exchange for her voice. And she washes up on shore and she has no clothing, no resources, no provision. So she has to make a sackcloth dress and she's rescued by the prince, spends a few days with him, and he doesn't kiss her. So the queen takes her and and makes her a slave, basically. King finds out about it and agrees to give himself for his daughter. And then after Prince Eric and Ariel, they um Kill the sea witch who is just going crazy with power because she took the king's crown and is using it for her own benefit. Then 
keen frightened, he realizes that his daughter still loves the prince and wants to be with him. So what does he do? He grants her her legs. Only instead of having to wrap up in sackcloth, she's given a beautiful dress. See, God knows our desires. I don't think that our desires are completely divorced from God's will. See, I've been in certain sermons where people say, well, if you like it, it must not be God's will. They might not say it in those words, but that's kind of the way they imply it. I don't think that's true at all, because God designed you for a purpose that you have. But there is a difference between pursuing things the way God would have us pursue things and pursuing things the way the world would have us So, as we wrapped up, uh, let's look at Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Romans 15, 13. When Jesus left, he said, I'm going away, and where I go, you cannot come. But what did he say? He said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will leave you the Holy Spirit in truth. The Holy Spirit which shall guide you into all truth. And what Paul is saying here is if you follow the gospel that he is preaching, you will be filled with joy through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the seal of promise to us at the time we are saved to say, I'm coming back to you. I'm going to keep my promise. And they said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again to receive you where I am. And he sends the Holy Spirit after telling the disciples to wait in the upper room. I mean, we think waiting is hard now, but imagine what it was like to be in that upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit. Jesus left. He promised that he wouldn't leave us comfortless, but we're human, so I don't know what this is going to look like, but he did. He sent the Holy Spirit. And Peter, the one who denied knowing Jesus, became a great preacher great proclaimer of the gospel and God even used him from the gospel to the Gentiles because the Holy Spirit makes all the difference. The life that we now live we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. 
of sin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the book of John and for its encouragement to us. For we know that we live in a chaotic time. We know there's a lot of trouble in the world, but you told us there would be. You said, in the world you may have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for overcoming the world. I pray this in Jesus' name.